Shalom. My name is Adam, and I welcome you to the parable of the vineyard. Every day, Yahuwah is waking up a remnant, a group of people who are coming out of deceptions, realizing our walk is to consist of faith and obedience to His righteous commands. Each week, we read through and examine a portion of the Torah, allowing the Spirit of the Most High to guide, teach, and open our eyes and ears to the wondrous matters out of His law. Join us as we seek to be refined by His Word, preparing ourselves for the return of our King of Kings, being faithful and obedient, walking in His way, truth, and life. Shabbat Shalom and welcome back, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Parable of the Vineyard YouTube live stream of our Torah portion reading. My name is Adam, your host, and I welcome you or welcome you back. This is week 17, which is going to cover Exodus 18, 1 through 2026. 20, and in this Torah portion is kind of the, the center, the heart of our walk. It's the giving of the Ten Commandments, and I wanted to spend some time on those today. So, really excited to cover this, and um, hey, let's pray. It's Shabbat, let's pray. Father Yahweh, we just come before you, bless you, and praise you in Yahushua's name. And Father, we just we just rejoice in you. All credit, all honor, all glory to you, O Yah. For sending your Son, your Word, which is a lamp to our feet. And we just thank you so much for waking us up in this late hour, and thank you. Thank you for bringing us forth at a time such as this. We want to do you honor. We want to bring you honor, oh yeah. So help us, help us to have a heart for you, for your word, and a thirst and a hunger for your word. And uh, teach us by your Ruach HaKodesh. And we just bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Shabbat Shalom. It is Shabbat. Well, you may be listening to this on a day other than Shabbat. But hey, at the time of this, it's Shabbat. So praise yeah. Um Let's do a little road show far, and then we'll get right into it. Okay, Exodus 18.1, and we're going to get into it. A lot of you ask what uh, version we read from. Listen, there's lots of good, uh, good translations out there. I just prefer the Sefer. So we're going to read from the Sefer, and we like to cross-reference with other, many other versions. Um, here we go. 18. 18.1. When Yitro, that's Jethro, the priest of Midian, El Moshe's father-in-law, heard all that Elohim had done for Moshe and for Yashrael his people, and that Yahuwah had brought Yashrael out of Mitzrayim, then Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moshe's woman or wife, after he had sent her back. Wait, when did that happen? We'll talk about that. And her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the Elohe of my father, said he, was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So pause there real quick. When did Moshe send his wife back? Let's go back to Exodus 4, 4, 18 through 20, and we'll read this. 
And Moshe went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go, I pray. This is after the, you know, the burning bush and, hey, I'm going to send you. And Moshe's like, okay. So he goes to his father-in-law. He says, let me go, I pray you, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moshe, go in peace. And Yahweh said to Moshe in Midian, go, return unto Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought your life. And Moshe took his wife and his sons and set upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moshe took the rod of Elohim in his hand. So it, when last we read, last we understood from, from, the, from the canon is like they all went. They all went with him. So um, I don't know. I, I said before, I'm the, I like to ask questions. I'm like, well, wait, when did that, where did that happen? Uh, we can find this actually in Jasher 79. Joshua 79, uh, 15 through 18 says this. And Aharon lifted up his eyes and saw Zipporah, the wife of Moshe, and her children. And he said unto Moshe, Who are these unto you? And Moshe said unto him, They are my wife and sons, which Elohim gave me in Midian. And the thing grieved Aaron on account of the woman and her children. And Aaron said to Moses, Send away the woman and her children, that they may go to her father's house. And Moshe Moshe hearkened to the words of Aaron and did so. And Zipporah returned with her children, and they went to the house of Reuel. It's another name. It's, it's one of Jethro's other names. And remained there until the time arrived when Yahweh had visited his people and brought them forth from the hand of Pharaoh. So and it's this isn't like uh, doctrine changing things, but as we go through the Torah, I just like to, I'm like, wait a minute. I, that doesn't make any sense. Last time we saw that they were all going to Egypt. So the book of Jasher kind of fills in that hole. Like I said, not, nothing groundbreaking, but I like to answer those questions when we go through it. So back to Exodus 18, verse 5. And Yitro, Jethro, Moshe's father-in-law, came with his sons and his woman unto Moshe in the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of Elohim. And he said to Moshe, I, your father-in-law, Yitro, am come unto you and your woman, and her two sons with her. And Moshe went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moshe told his father-in-law all that Yahuwah had done unto Pharaoh and to the, the Mitzrayim for Yashorel, for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how Yahuwah delivered them. And Yitro rejoiced for all the goodness which Yahuwah had done to Yashorel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of Mitzrayim. And Yitro said, Blessed be Yahuwah, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Mitzrayim, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of Mitzrayim. Now I know that Yahuwah is greater than all Elohim, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for Elohim. And Aharon came and all the elders of Yashorel to eat bread with Moshe's father-in-law before Elohim. So just a great um, great account here. We see this, we're going to see this, of course, as, as we get further, um, but more specifically like Joshua and stuff, but um, that the surrounding nations saw and heard this and they were like, whoa. And some of them... Some of them were like intrigued enough to hey like hey, I I want to follow the Most High. We'll see it actually here in um, let's look at the Targums, the Aramaic. Let's look at the Aramaic. And in case you need it, we have a link for the Aramaic in our study notes. If you're not familiar, we put I put all the study notes every week as a link in the description box. So we'll go to the Targums of 18, and there's some interesting little verbiage here that I'd like to share. 
And it says, this is Jethro. And he said to Moshe, I, your father-in-law Jethro, have come to you to be a proselyte. A proselyte is a convert. Uh, he's like, I want to I want to follow Yahweh's ways. And if you will not receive me on my own account, receive me for the sake of your wife and her two sons who are with her. And Moshe came forth from under the cloud of glory to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him and made him a proselyte. And they asked of each other's welfare and came to the tabernacle in the house of instruction. Let's skip down here to verse 11. This is, uh, of course, this is Jethro still speaking. Now I have known that Yahuwah is stronger than all Elohim, for by the very thing by which the Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim the Egyptians, wickedly would have punished Yashrael, by drowning them in the sea, upon themselves came the punishment in being punished in the sea. And that's interesting because that's the, as we'll learn later on in the Torah, that's the punishment for a false witness. So like, if it, which is part of one of the commandments today, if you bear false witness against somebody and say something that's wrong, that could uh, well, lead them to punishment or, or even just uh, defamation of character or name or whatnot, that in the Torah, you suffer the penalty of what you wrongly charge them for. So it's kind of interesting that here in the Aramaic, the uh, Mitzrayim, the Egyptians, of course, wanted to drown uh, the uh, the Israelites by throwing their babies in the water and whatnot. But that's kind of ended up being what their punishment was. So kind of interesting. We see the Torah in action uh, without it being outwardly spoken. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, before we move back to Exodus 18, I want to share another passage in Jasher, kind of a little quick little parallel, a parallel of this story. We're going to go to Jasher 82. We're going to read just verses 2 through 5. At that time came Reuel, the Midianite, the father-in-law of Moses, with Zipporah, his daughter, and her two sons, for he had heard of the wonders of Yahuwah, which he'd done to Israel, that he had delivered them from the hand of Egypt. And Reuel came to Moshe in the wilderness, where he was encamped, where was the mountain of Elohim. And Moshe went forth to meet his father-in-law with great honor, and all Israel was with him. And Reuel and his children remained amongst the Israelites for many days, and Reuel knew Yahuwah from that day forward. So we have kind of a second witness here that, uh, that you know, Moshe's father-in-law, he became a convert. So praise Yah to that. Um, and then here also Isaiah 2 one through three, we kind of have a foreshadow here with Raoul hearing about all the wonders and like what's going on in the Exodus. And we know that in Jeremiah and once in, in Jeremiah 16 and, and another time in Jeremiah 23. So two times it's repeated that, you know, in the end times when Yah gathers all of his people from the four corners of the earth, people like to call the second Exodus. People like to call it the, the day, you know, the day of Yah, the resurrection, whatever. When he does this mighty act, he says that no one's ever going to talk about the old Exodus anymore. They're going to talk about this one, and that's how big it's going to be. But here in, in this Exodus, we see a small foreshadow of what's to come in the big one. We have a Gentile or a, someone who's out of covenant with Yah, hears about these things, and they're like, uh, I want to hear more about this Yahuwah, and I want to follow his ways. I want to be a convert. Well, this is, this is going to happen in a major way in the last days. Isaiah 2 says this, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahuwah shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. I do believe that this is talking about when New Jerusalem was finally set down uh, in her place. 
And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah, to the house of the Elohim of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the Torah, and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. Pretty cool. So this is what's going to happen in a big way. They're like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We just saw all this stuff, and we believe, and we know that Yah is with you. We help us. We want to walk in his ways. So what a cool day that will be. Okay, so let's go back to Exodus 18. We're going to go to verse 13, and we're going to continue. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moshe sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moshe from the morning unto the evening. And when Moshe's father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that you do to the people? Why sit you yourself alone, and all the people stand by you from morning into evening? And Moshe said to his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of Elohim. When they have a matter, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of Elohim and his Torah. Which is kind of interesting because, really, the, if you, you know, according to modern day theology, the law hadn't been given yet. The Torah didn't exist until it was given to him on Mount Sinai, which hasn't happened. But we know that's not true because of Genesis, Genesis 26, 5, where uh, he was talking to, Yah was talking to Isaac and he affirmed that it's, you know, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge and kept my Torah. So his Torah was well alive. Of course, we, we, we know through Noah, we know through, of course, uh, some of the, what people call the extra removed books like Enoch and um, many of the books that the law was well alive um, before Mount Sinai, where, which we're, we're about to see here in a minute. But anyways, and Moshe's father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do, it's not good. You will surely wear away both you and this people that is with you, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able, able to perform it yourself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. He's like, come here, come here, come here. Listen, listen to me. I will give you counsel, and Elohim shall be with you. For the people to Elohim word, that be from sorry, be for the people to Elohim word, that you may bring the causes unto Elohim, and you shall teach them ordinances and Torah, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Just another cool little example here. He's, this is even Raul or Jethro saying that you shall teach them the ordinances in the Torah and show them the way wherein they must walk. So just another notch showing us that Torah is the way. We know Psalm 119.1 specifically says that the Torah is the way. Here's another example. But verse 21 says this, Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men, such as fear Elohim, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto you, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for yourself, and they shall bear their burden with you. If you shall do this thing, and Elohim command you so, then you shall be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So it's really nice because Jethro is like, instead of just like, you know, he's like, instead of Jethro just being like, what you need to do is this, this, and this. He's like, hey, listen, here's an idea. This is what you should do. And if Elohim agrees. 
So he gave place, of course, for Elohim, for Yah to be like, yeah, that's a good idea. So Moshe hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moshe chose able men out of all Yashrael, all, all Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moshe, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moshe let his father-in-law depart, and he went away into his own land. So this is uh, this is structure. We talked about this uh, a lot last year, but just to quickly review, sometimes we think that you know, there's a verse. There's a verse. You know, with the the ruach, it says, uh, "You you need no man teach you in in, in such and such, because the ruach will teach you." But and, and and through that, people kind of assimilate a kind of wild west mentality. Like, I don't need any structure. I don't need any leadership. I'm on my own. I got the ruach. I don't need anyone else. I don't need anyone else to tell me what's going on. And that, there's kind of that that general thought process. And truly. The you know we don't need anyone to teach us of the truth of Messiah and what the ruach of course is guiding us to. But Yah is a, an Elohim of order. We know that the ruach didn't come and Messiah didn't come to do away all this stuff. That the Torah is like the foundation. It's like the concrete footing uh, that you know that stabilizes the whole house. And in Torah, it is very. Torah, to have structure, leadership, organization. Um, I learned this. I learned how well this functions in the military. Uh, you have, uh, you know, you have fire team leaders who are over like, you know, uh, four or five, and then you have a squad leader who's over uh, 10, 12, and then you have the um, the leader over the whole platoon, and then you have leaders over, and then the leaders over like uh, uh, battalions and brigades, and and it works. It works very well. Um, and we have a uh, we have a, a, a local congregation, and I'll tell you, before we really had um, leadership established and people to go to, and it was it was it can get it got a little chaotic. But once leadership was in place, and you know the the, the rules were established that, that we're going to go by the Torah, and when you have an issue, you you go to your brother, and if they don't hear you, then of course you follow the Matthew eighteen process, and then you know. Anyways, but the the thing is. The point here is Yah has a process, Yah has structure and or in leadership and organization. Nothing has changed about that. What's the only thing that's really changed or has been refined is Messiah's teaching to us that what real leadership actually looks like. It's not just tyrants ruling over people and being like, do as I say. And that's not really how it looks. But um I wanted to uh, I want to share some some scriptures here. So here in Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18, we'll have, kind of have this repeated. And uh, then we'll uh, read a couple other things. So Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18 says this, And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. Yahweh Elohim has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Yahweh Elohim of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I myself bear you alone? I'm sorry. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, 
captains over hundreds, captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously, between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. You shall not respect persons in judgment or right ruling. So just just because you're closer with this person or, or favoritism or uh, just because this person uh, helps you financially or whatever, you can't, it can't get in the way. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is Elohim's and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time, all the things which you should do. Then here in Matthew 23, um, Messiah touches on the character of leadership. And here we'll, we'll kind of get some characteristics of bad leadership, um, of Pharisees, how were self-fulfilling, selfish, and, and, um, and of course Messiah will teach us a little better. Matthew 23, 1 through 12 says this, Then spake Yahusha to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, seat of authority. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. So everything that they teach you according to the Torah, being in Moshe's seat, do it. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. This is their man-made traditions and added stuff for they bind heavy burdens which we know the torah is not a heavy burden they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers so again do as i say not as i do and not leading by example but all their works they do for to be seen of men they make make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats and the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be ye not called Rabbi for one is your master, even Messiah. And you're all brethren. He's like, you're all equal, essentially, which is, that's how we should, that's how we need to roll. We're all equal and call no man your father upon earth for one is your father, which is in heaven. And this is a verse that I was like, wait a minute, I can't call my dad, dad, or I can't call my dad father. You know, I think he's really talking about um, kind of what the Catholic Church has has gone and done, and you know, like, Father, I've sinned. I need a confession, Father. You know, that's I think is what that's the that's the no no he's talking about. Just my opinion. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Messiah. Listen, here's the here's the good leadership advice. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, which Moshe was. Moshe was a great example. He was a servant to the people. Remember all the time, well, I don't know if you were with us last year, this is your first year and you haven't really studied Torah fully, but you will learn, especially in the book of Numbers, um, that the people just constantly want to rebel against Moshe, even kill him. And Moshe, instead of like, and, and even even Yah gave Moshe an opportunity. He's like, listen, I'm going to kill all these people and you and me, Moshe, will start over. And Moshe could have been like, thank you. I'm tired of these people. They just want to kill me all the time. Thanks. No, he was like, he got on his knees, he, he prayed, he, he, he prayed in supplication and, 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 and uh, um, humility to the Most High. Like, no, 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 you know, these are your people. You brought them out of Egypt, just, you know, please forgive them, such and such. But anyways, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. 
So just some good old words from Yah- uh, from Messiah Yahusha. Here's some good words from Peter about leadership as well. First Peter 5, 1 through 5. The elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Messiah, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of Elohim, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for greedy gain, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords or just masters over the flock, over Elohim's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For Elohim resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So there's just this general theme that keeps coming up about being meek and being humble. And uh, I hope that one day we'll just actually catch on to this and we'll be we'll submit ourselves to each other, be humble, be meek, and praise be to Yah. All right, I've got one more note here in chapter 18 to look at the Targums uh, 1827. This is the Aramaic, and just in case you're new, this is the Aramaic. Uh, and so, and Moshe parted from his father-in-law, and he went and himself made proselytes of all the children of his land. So, pretty cool, fruitful, multiply. Jethro is like, hey, what's going on? I heard of all this stuff going on. I want to, I want to, I want to hear more. And Moshe, you know, you know, talks to him. Of course, he makes him a proselyte or a convert. And uh, Jethro leaves, goes back to his hometown. He's like, I'm gonna convert all you guys because check out what just happened. And they're like, whoa. And of course, he's the he's the priest of that area, so they're gonna listen to him. And that's my hope. Um, uh, my hope is that you know we can reach these pastors of these churches because the people look up to them and and they're like the the shepherds of the flock there and gosh if 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 these and i've heard of some stories of pastors um pastors hearing about faith and obedience to the torah for faith in messiah and obedience to the torah being the way and uh i've heard of them getting kicked out and i've heard stories of them converting the whole church so i don't know yeah willing yeah willing we can reach them Okay, so let's go to chapter 19. And here we have the, the warm-up to the big event, to the main event. Exodus 19. In the third month, when the children of Yashrael were gone forth out of the land of Mitzrayim, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Yashrael camped before the mount. And Moshe went up unto Elohim, and Yahweh called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, until the children of Yashrael, You have seen what I did unto the Mitzrayim, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So this is kind of cool, because just really quickly, in, in the last days, in Revelation, it says here, Revelation 12, 14, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and for half a time from the face of the serpent or the dragon. So we kind of see some parallels. Uh, We were obviously talking about it during the plagues, the parallels of what's going on in Exodus and what's happening in Revelation. And here we're we're seeing kind of some more evidence of that protection that Yah gave his people before and brought them into into uh, salvation, brought them into the land, brought them out of slavery. We're kind of have a, a, a similar picture here uh, in the last days as we saw in Revelation. 
19 verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed. These next two verses are really key here for our walk. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and guard my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Yashrael. Um, this peculiar treasure, it, it translates into like a precious stone. And we look at uh, like the building of Revelation uh, of um New Jerusalem and it's built with stones and we see in Isaiah is it 49 that she that that New Jerusalem is decked out with just beautiful stones and essentially he's saying here if you obey my voice indeed and guard my covenant then you shall be these precious stones all over my building literally figuratively figuratively maybe a little bit of both I don't know exactly how that's going to go down but anyways I mean, he says, he says Messiah, uh, the, the apostles are the foundation. Messiah is the chief cornerstone, and we're built upon that. So, and then 1 Peter, I think 2.5 says that we're living, we're living stones, built up a spiritual house. I don't know about you, I, I want to be one of these peculiar treasures. I, I want to be one of these peculiar, beautiful stones of his. So what do we do? We have to obey his voice. First Peter actually quotes this passage in Exodus 19. So we know that this is like not done away with. This is not like just, oh, well, new covenant. So, you know, all the old is, is gone. No, Peter actually quotes that verbatim. We'll read it here. It's towards the end of this in First Peter 2, uh, 1 through 9. But let's read First Peter 2, 1 through 9. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And pause real quick. I know I do a lot of pausing and talking, but please forgive me. Um, here in a little bit, when we go over the commandments, we're going to go over uh, an article or a, in a video that I did uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago now called How to Walk in Torah. And I kind of position that article with um, like being like a baby, crawling um, and then or like, you know, yeah, crawling and then walking and then jogging and then running and, you know, kind of just the stages of, of our, um, how we're able to, to kind of move. But here, Peter says that like, we're literally born again and we're like little babies. And so as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. So staying in the word is how we grow. If so be that you have tasted that Yahuwah is gracious. Have you? I have. Have you? To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of Elohim and precious. You also as living stone, so Messiah as a living stone, we also are living stones. So we kind of have some uh, similarities here. So Messiah says he's the light, but we're also the light. He's a living stone. Well, we're also living stones. We're supposed to follow his footsteps, literally. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Elohim by Yahusha Hamashiach. And if you all... Uh, if, uh, uh, sorry. My old stuttering coming back. Um, If you ever wonder, like, why a lot of times I pray in the name of Yahusha or, Father, we come before you in Yahusha's name... Uh, there's a couple examples. This is one of them, but we're offer up spiritual sacrifices, of course, which is our it's our day to day lives, but also our prayers. 
acceptable to Elohim by Yahushua HaMashiach, who is our high priest. So it's the high priest who we go to, and he, he and he's our mediator between Yahuwah, of course. We also see it in Hebrews. Um, ooh, I can't remember what uh, what chapter and verse in Hebrews uh, is it? Maybe four thirteen? Oh no, that's that's the word of Elohim. But anyways, it says that we can boldly approach the throne by the blood of Messiah. So it's like we're coming before him in Yahusha's name. Anyways, getting a little off, to- off topic here. So back to First Peter. Wherefore, verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be, be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you, and here we go. Now he's quoting Gen- uh, Exodus 19, 5-6. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The more and more we study, and the more we get familiar with uh, with scriptural terminology, of course, light being Torah, darkness being those who are out of Torah. So, and this is, it's all like coming together. So that you should show for the praises of him who has called you out of lawlessness into obedience. How about that? And then of course, John 10, famous words from Messiah, John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall they pluck, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So this all goes back to this right here. Let's read it again. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, so we can see that Messiah really said nothing new. My sheep hear my voice. If you will obey my voice indeed and guard my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Yashrael. So this was, this this opportunity has been renewed for us through the blood of Messiah, and uh, and this this is our this is our duty. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to do. So when people are like, "Oh, you're adding to salvation, and you're you're talking a workspace salvation," no, you know we're we're just literally following Messiah, His words, and the disciples. They're all saying it. However, as we've been seeing the the. The verses in the New Testament are a little a little veiled. They're kind of in parable form where you kind of have to know the word to understand the New Testament. If you kind of have to understand the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Of course, you can understand the basic precepts like Messiah died on a cross and we need to believe on him, we need to be baptized. That stuff is pretty easy, but as they get into like doctrine, you'll see that they're speaking in terms like they'll say truth instead of Torah. They'll say darkness instead of lawlessness and all these different things that Messiah kind of teaches us that we need to abide in the word. We need to understand him. All right, let's keep going. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we beat that pretty good. Um, but here, uh, Targums, Exodus 19.3 says this, And Moshe went up to seek instruction before Yahuwah, and the word of Yahuwah anticipated him from the mountain, saying, so here, this is why I love the Aramaic. Um, we don't really read a whole lot of it anymore. We did a couple years ago. 
Um, really, I just like to point out that the Aramaic clearly shows our Messiah's involvement in in the old days, where you know we all kind of thought it was like Yahweh that came down, or that maybe just Yahweh just sent angels all the time. Yahweh sent his mediator all the time, well, not all the time. He did send some angels here and there, but I mean, for the most part, like like this part right here. You know, who did Moshe go and speak with on the mount? Was it Yah directly? Was it an angel? Or was it the word of Yahuwah? And I that's I believe. I believe Messiah was up there with Moshe and the one who, with his finger, wrote in the commandments. Just like his finger was writing on the ground when, you know, when they were trying to accuse him and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, so, and the word of Yahuwah anticipated him from the mountain. So the word of Yahuwah is a living being who spoke saying, Thus shall you speak to the men of the house of Yaakov and teach the congregation of the sons of Yasharel, Israel, Yisrael. Uh, verse 5, And now if you will truly hearken to the voice of my word and will keep my covenant, you shall be unto my name a distinct people and beloved as a precious treasure above all peoples, for all the earth is to the name of Yahuwah. Pretty cool. What do you think? They're here again. And Moshe came and called the sages of Yashrael and set them in order before them all these words which the word of Yahuwah had commanded them. So there's Messiah. There's Messiah openly and plainly written for us. And that's why I like the Aramaic. Um, just in case you're new, um, the Aramaic is supposedly written during the time of Ezra. Um, and so it's very possible that it's older even than the Septuagint. And of course, the Masoretic, the Masoretic is the text that the KJV, ESV, RSV, um, the scriptures, Sefer, everything is based off of that text. Um, and so this is supposedly a little bit older. And that's why it's very possible that the original text did contain a lot of the word, which the word is Messiah. And then it possibly could have been taken out over time. Not sure exactly how that worked out, but just some things to consider. Exodus 19, verse 7. And Moshe came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which Yahuwah commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahuwah has spoken we will do. And Moshe returned the words of the people unto El Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And Moshe told the words of the people unto El Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And let's keep in mind, when it says Yahuwah said, you know, when Messiah speaks to us, he said himself in the Gospels that my doctrine is not my own. I'm just, I'm sharing with you what the Father has given me. So if Messiah is speaking to us, is the Father speaking to us too through his Son? Yeah, I would agree. So that's how that's how you can reconcile whether like someone would say, well, uh, I don't care what the Aramaic says. It says right here, Yahuwah said to Moshe. So Yahuwah spoke to Moshe. We also have to reconcile that Messiah said that no one has ever seen Elohim and no one's ever spoken to him or ever heard his voice, his audible voice. So whose voice did they hear? And that's why I believe it was Messiah's. But anyways, he says, Yahweh said to Moshe, go into the people, sanctify them today, and let them wash their clothes. Something about just being clean before this. They're about to essentially get married. We're not going to learn that in this Torah portion, but next week or the following week, 
uh, will learn that uh, we'll have they're going to have a marriage ceremony and they need to get cleaned. And so um, just something for us to consider that we are like engaged right now. The Holy Spirit is like that seal of promise. It's like that. Uh, I know some people are against rings and stuff, but um, but it's in a, in a similar way. It's like an engagement ring. Don't you know? Don't get all upset with me, please. Just a, just an example. It's like we're engaged and we're waiting to be brought into that final covenant. Uh, when the resurrection happens, when we're brought into the land, everything. There's going to be just one final marriage covenant. And so we're like in waiting, ready to do that. And so we need to keep our robes, our spiritual robes clean, which is our walk. It's our soul. It's our minds, our eyes, our ears, everything. But Jude, uh, Jude verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit or the Ruach HaKodesh. Keep yourselves in the love of Elohim, looking for the mercy of our master, Yahushua HaMashiach, unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. This is the kind of mentality we need to have with each other is, of course, keeping ourselves, building each other up, having compassion, making a difference, saving others, pulling them out of the fire. But here, this is why I read this, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. This is like our spiritual robes that we need to wash, of course, in the blood of Messiah. But after it's washed, we need to keep them clean. James 1, 22 through 27 says this, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So you can read the scriptures all you want and hear it all you want, but if you don't put it into practice, you're deceiving yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect Torah, perfect law of liberty, of freedom. That's the Torah is freedom. And continues in it, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before Elohim and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Keep your garment clean. Second Peter three fourteen through 18 Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot. There it is again. There's a third witness in the New Testament. And blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our master is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also to the other scriptures unto their own destruction. A lot of us, of course, have started to be understand this, that Paul can be easily misunderstood and people can misuse his words to destruction or lawlessness. You therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, so I'm warning you beforehand, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our master and savior, Yahushua HaMashiach, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.
So, keep your garment unspotted, brethren. Brethren and sistren. We'll just go with brethren. Okay, so wash your clothes. And what's interesting, I think I talk about this later. Maybe I don't have it up here. Um, here's something interesting. In Revelation 22, 14, in the, KJ, in the KJV, which I frequent, um, not a great, not a perfect translation, but better than a lot of the newer translations. If you can get around the, the thine and thus and uh, whatever. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. But a lot of the other newer translations say this, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes, wash their robes, wash their robes, washing their robes, wash their robes. So kind of interesting. Keeping the commandments and washing the robes are kind of the same thing. I mean, we wash them in Messiah, right? But we keep them clean by keeping the commandments. So different, but very similar in the same way. Okay, back to Exodus 19. We're going to be at verse 11. So he says, wash your clothes. And then here, verse 11, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, Yahweh will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Kind of interesting, um, a little interesting parallel. I know there's some discrepancies as far as timeline. I know um, that some people think that um, where we are 2,000 years from Messiah or 2,000 and you know, however many years from Messiah. Um some people think that we're only a thousand years from the you know, death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. And then some people think other things. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to, you know, solidify all these different beliefs. But I guess I'm still I have not been I have not been able to be swayed. I still do believe that we're about two thousand years removed from Messiah. That's just kind of where I'm at. I've listened to some of the arguments and I've got some really, really good friends who have some compelling arguments, but I just have not been able to be swayed. And it's not for uh, pride or for hardness of heart. I, I just didn't see enough evidence. And anyways, so here we go. Um, so the perspective I'm sharing with you is, again, is coming from someone who I believe we're, we're about 2,000 years removed from Messiah. Matthew 17, 23. And they shall kill him. And on the third day, he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. There's something about this third day about being resurrected um, that we kind of see here, kind of nestled here in Hosea 6, 1 through 2, um, if you follow what I'm saying here, and I'll show you. It says, Come, let us return unto Yahuwah, for he has torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. So, if a day is as a thousand years, follow with me, and if we are at the end of the 2000 years. So again, so let's, let's imagine Messiah, um, taught, uh, was, was crucified, buried, uh, and then resurrected. And then a thousand years passed. So one day has passed and then another thousand years is about to pass. So that second day is almost done over with when exactly what year that is. I don't know, but let's say we're, um, let's say we're 1,999 days from Messiah, from Messiah's death and resurrection. So that would mean we're getting ready to finish the, the fullness of the second day, the, the end of the 2,000 years. Are you following me? Hopefully. 
that means we're getting ready to begin the third day, if that's correct. So after two days, he will revive us. In the third day, so let's say the beginning of the, the, the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Hopefully that made sense. This might be one of those ones where a visual will really help. But I believe we're at the cusp of starting the third day. The um, So 2001 years, 2001 years removed from Messiah would be the beginning of the third day. It would be the first year of that 3,000th year. Does that make sense? Anyways, um, I may have made this a lot more confusing than it needed to be, but hopefully maybe you understood. So anyway, my point is, is there's something interesting about this third day here. And I think this is, this was three literal days back then, but perhaps uh, the third day um, figuratively, spiritually, and in the last days is when we'll be taken up or gathered, those kind of things. So. Okay, so again, be ready against the third day. For the third day, Yahweh will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And you shall set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the shofar sounds long, they shall come up to the mount. So uh, no touchy till shofi. All right. We have to remember that in the last days. And we'll see some kind of parallels uh, in, in uh, some other sources. We'll look at Psalm 47 and we'll see that he comes down with a shofi, with a trumpet. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto Elohim with the voice of triumph. For Yahweh Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the. This is not a terrible, like, oh, you're terrible. It's like, oh, he's, oh my, oh my. He's a, it's so language is a little different back in the yeah, those days. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Selah. Elohim is gone up with a shout, with a teruah, like Yom Teruah, the day of, the day of trumpets, uh, the feast of trumpets. Elohim has gone up with a shout, Yahweh, with the sound of a shofar. Sing praises to Elohim. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For Elohim is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Elohim reigns over the nations. Elohim sits upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the Elohim of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to Elohim. He is greatly exalted. Matthew twenty four thirty one, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a shofar or trumpet. Shofar, really. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Isaiah twenty three thirteen, And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet or shofar shall be blown. And they shall come, which are ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship Yahweh in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Revelation 15, 5 through 8. And after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of Elohim, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke of the glory of Elohim and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So kind of a similar parallel, different details, but they couldn't enter the temple. 
um, in you know in the future and in the past tense, they couldn't go up to the mount or touch the mount until such and such was completed. So just some interesting little parallels to uh, consider in Chuan. Um, so again, no touchy of the mount till Shofi. Uh, Exodus 19:14, and Moshe went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. We remind ourselves how again how those garments are washed. Revelation 7:14, and I said unto him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they're made clean by the blood of Messiah. It's our job to keep them clean. This isn't like this isn't like Messiah makes us clean and then therefore we can just go jump in the mud puddles and do whatever we want and it'd be fine because he's just gonna forgive us. You know, that's that's this whole once saved, always saved doctrine. Now, I do believe in once saved, always saved, but for those who are saved and stay on the path, um, this once saved, always saved kind of letting people know, well, you can just kind of just do whatever you want. I mean, you probably shouldn't, but I mean, technically you can because, well, you got the blood of you got the blood of Messiah on you, which of course is promoting lawlessness. So again, verse 14, Moshe went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready against the third day, Come not at your wives, at your women. So no, uh, none of that stuff. None of that. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the shofar exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And once again, we'll see parallels in the book of Revelation here. Revelation 4, 5, and out of the out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And then here, Revelation 8, 5, and the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Revelation eleven nineteen, and the temple of Elohim was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Revelation sixteen eighteen, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Isaiah twenty nine six, you shall be visited of Yahweh Sebaot with thunder and with earthquake, with great noise, with storm and tempest, and the flame of devouring fire. So we see some parallels here. Again, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the shofar exceeding loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. Trembled. And Moshe brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with Elohim. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because Yahuwah descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the shofar sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moshe spoke. And Elohim answered him by a voice. And Yahuwah came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And Yahuwah called Moshe up to the top of the mount. And Moshe went up. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto El Yahuwah to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to El Yahuwah, sanctify themselves, lest Yahuwah break forth upon them. 
And Moshe said to El Yahuwah, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you charged us, saying, Set bounds on the mount and sanctify it. So Yahuwah was like testing Moshe. And Moshe is like, This is what you said. And Yahuwah said unto him, Away, get you down, and you shall come up, you, Nachron, with you. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up to El Yahuwah, lest he break forth upon them. So Moshe went down to the people and spoke unto them. And breaking forth on someone is not good. We saw this in 2 Samuel with Uzzah. He was not a Levite, and they were moving the, the ark, and the ark was ship, like moving, maybe we got to fall, and Uzzah touched it, and it says Yahweh broke forth upon Uzzah. Uzzah died. Not good. They broke the commandment. Only, only the Levites were supposed to, to handle it. But anyways... Um, so here, interesting passage. So this is the warm up here, of course. Um, what I find is interesting. It says that Mount Sinai, uh, was all together on a smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire. And there are, there are some, um, of course, debates on the real location of Mount Sinai. We talked a little bit about it in the, um, the documentary that I showed you guys last week, a little clip of, uh, we talk about the real location of Mount Sinai. But um, it's called Jabal al-Laz. And what's interesting about it is there's a, this is not a shadow, by the way. There's a peak up there on this uh, mountain, which uh, many people do believe this is the real one. That There's a whole area of the mountain that's just charred. You see, this is not shadow. It's just charred mountain. Here's a couple other looks. It's just burnt rock. And they went up there. Like, here we go. Here's another look at it. It's just completely burnt. And when you chip away at it with like a pick or whatever, this color is revealed underneath. So something literally uh, just incinerated it. And this is called Jabal al-Laz. This is, this is not the mainstream location of Mount Sinai. This is a much lesser known. Um, and uh, the adventures and, and, and um, uh, studies of... Uh, or, 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 um, yeah, the the yeah the journeys of um, Ron Wyatt. Did he discovered this uh, alternate location, and it lines up with the the what we believe is the correct path of them leaving out of Egypt, uh, getting ready to cross over the the Red Sea, getting to go to Mount Sinai. This does seem like the correct location. This is probably one of the better photos right here. Yeah, Jabal al Laz. So there's scripture right there for you in nature. Praise be to Yah. Um, <clears throat> I've got, uh, let's see, I want to read um, here. So this is Exodus 19.9. And the word of Yah, uh, he says, Behold, my word will be revealed to you in the thickness of the cloud. Uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Verses 17 and 18, I have, uh, let's see. And Moshe brought forth the people from the camp to meet the glorious presence of Yahuwah. And what's interesting in Isaiah 63, Messiah is identified as the angel of the presence. And all Mount Sinai was aflame, for the heavens had overspread it, and he was revealed over in a flaming fire. And the smoke went up as the smoke of a furnace, and all the mountain quaked greatly. So we don't have the mountain quaking, earthquake, but what's interesting is, if that is true, then it much more coincides with Revelation. Remember all those different passages we said it was, and it was lightning and voices and a thunder and an earthquake. Um, well, then that would that would make a lot more sense in the Exodus passage, uh, which doesn't show earthquake, but here in the in the Aramaic it says earthquake. Um, yeah. Okay. 
All right, so now we are going to we're going to look at um, Exodus 20. This is uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read the whole thing, Exodus 20, and then we're going to kind of go through uh, again. I was sharing with you. Uh, there's an article. Is this is a video done uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago called "How to Walk in Torah," and in this segment we talk about um, the Ten Commandments, and I want to kind of go over that uh, with you and encourage any of you who are new. If you're new and you're like I really I want to learn how to walk in Torah. And there are so many different questions. And a lot of the questions are very similar. People ask kind of the same questions. A lot of the frequently asked questions are answered in here. Um, and hopefully this might be a good uh, just guide for you on how to walk in Torah. But let's read Exodus 20 together, and then we'll go and study this. And Elohim spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh Lohaika, which I've brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other Elohim before me. So we're getting into the Ten Commandments. This is the meat. This is the very basics of what we're supposed to be doing. So no other Elohim before me. Again, I'm, we'll, we'll go to the study here in a second. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh am a jealous El, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, generational curses, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and guard my commandments. You can see a stark difference between people who transgress his ways is equated to the hating them, hating him, and those that keep his commandments, loving him. You shall not take the name of Yahweh in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the day of Shabbat to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yahuwah. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, we'll call this employees, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days Yahuwah made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, Yahweh blessed the day of Shabbat and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh Lahaika gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's woman or wife, nor his manservant, call his employees, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the shofar and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moshe, Speak with us, and we will hear, but let not Elohim speak with us, lest we die. And Moshe said unto the people, Fear not, for Elohim has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moshe drew near unto the thick darkness where Elohim was. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, You shall say unto the children of Yashrael, You have seen that I talked with you from heaven. You shall not make with me Elohai of silver, neither shall you make unto you Elohai of gold. An altar of earth shall you make unto me, and shall sacrifice thereon your burnt offerings, and your peace offerings, your sheep, and your oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come to you, and I will bless you. And if you will make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you lift up your tool upon it, you have polluted it. Neither shall you go up by steps unto my altar, 
that your nakedness be not discovered thereon. And this is the end of the Torah portion reading, but now we're going to study uh, chapter 20. I like to do that kind of in detail. So um, I have an article, of course, for this, if you want to reference this. Again, this is just how to walk in Torah, kind of a basic and there's some, you know, there's some kind of advanced things for people that are already in Torah and already know kind of what to do. Still a good guide. But how to walk in Torah. And we're not going to read all of this, of course. Uh, it is a very lengthy article. Um, but this is kind of just the preview. Um, I'm just kind of giving you... So I remember I said earlier that, you know, we're like born again. We have we kind of go in phases. We have crawling to, to walking. to So there's the crawling phase and then the crawling phase... Um, this is just talking about belief and faith. Nothing happens without faith. Kind of the beginning of repentance, explaining what repentance really means. Um, what else we got here? Baptism, immersion. Um, okay, so now we're still in the crawling phase. So I believe that this is still like, uh, this is still the very basics. And before we get into the Ten Commandments, I want to briefly talk about the first four. We learn in Acts 15, or actually, we'll just read this. In Acts 15, at the council in Jerusalem, the apostles set four standards that new converts had to adhere to immediately. Like, hey, you want to be in the fold? You've got to stop these four things now before you can even go any further and learn. It says right here, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. That's one. And from fornication, two. And from things strangled, three. And from blood. These four things. And we learn here, I don't know I don't have verse 21. Verse 21 says, Because Moses of old time has preached in every city and in every, every synagogue. So the premise is essentially, hey, we don't need to put the whole Torah on you right away. But these four things, you got to stop right now. And then, of course, every Shabbat, and of course, your own study, you'll learn every week as you continue in the faith, you'll learn about more about the Torah and so on and so forth. So, so before you go any further in your walk, these four things need to be stopped at once before attempting to serve Yahuwah. Otherwise, you will not find growth. So um, we're doing this. Some of you out there, um, we, we have a wide range of listeners. We have listeners that um, have, been in, have been in Torah for 20, 30, 40 years. We have people that have been in for a couple years. Um, we have been have people that have been in for 10 years. We have some people that have been in for like 10 minutes, not really, like 10 days, 10, 10 weeks, 10, 10 months. I don't know. There's, there's such a wide range. And so for those of us that are really already solid in this, hey, this is just reviewing the basics. For those of you that are like really new, they're like, yeah, I want to learn the Torah. This, this, really, this will really help you. So please listen in. So again, if you don't stop these four things, you will not find any growth. See the parable of the sower. So first thing, idolatry, pollution of idols. And this is a really good, uh, really good um, um, image here because this, of course, is the golden calf. And the golden calf can look and can look like many different things in our walk today. So most of you aren't bowing down to idols at this point. You shouldn't be. But so, but most of you aren't. So great job. Nevertheless, modern day idolatry can come in in many forms: sports. Collectibles, cars, homes, celebrities, money, video games, addictions, drugs, alcohol, etc. I'd highly recommend self-examining to find out what could be what could be idols in your heart. So this is a time for um, an audit, an, a self-audit, like what's in my life, and being being honest and really evaluating yourself, like, hmm, you know. So yeah, culture, family, career, money, pleasure, fame. Um, 
religion even, entertainment, yourself, success, comfort, approval, power, culture, possessions. This is all idolatry. It's not literally just bound down the statues. Now, that is literally true. Like even Catholicism, they literally bow down to statues and put incense before these carved images that are clearly against the Torah. But here, just to show you that it's it's not just physical idols, but also figurative. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Ezekiel 14.3. What's in your heart? If you've ever gardened before, then you'll know that weeds need, weeds need to be taken out. Otherwise, it will be robbing the fruit or vegetable bearing plant of nutrients and water. For a weed to be destroyed, it needs to be plucked up by the roots. Likewise, these idols need to be weeded from your life at the very root. So we're just, we just quickly touched on, on idolatry. Next one is fornication. So if you have small children present, the following portion may not be suitable for them. I will uh, I will kind of maybe just spell things out, and there's not like there's not graphic images or anything, uh, but we're gonna be talking about some sensitive things that well you as the parent can decide if you want them listening to this or not. But fornication. We have to flee fornication. Fornication can be viewed in many different ways in our modern world. Take a look at the breakdown of the Greek word of porneia used in Acts 15, verse 20. Fornication is unlawful relations. However, I truly believe that online P-O-R-N alongside this word, if you're listening on um, podcasts, uh, forgive me, but this is something that usually goes along with P-O-R-N. Uh, I believe is the worst offender in our generation. Is it worse than you know unlawful relations? Maybe, maybe not. But I believe this is the biggest offender. I believe this is the most commonly transgressed. It is a, it is a plague that is that has just entered every crevice of, of society. Society makes it normal. Oh, this is normal. It's a, it's healthy for you. And this, no way. What are, what kind of images are you looking at? What is your eyes taking in? Who are you looking at? What are you looking at? Um, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, which is in you, which you have of Elohim, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are Elohim's. If anyone of you out there are still uh, struggling with this right here, think about, think about the throne room. And that being shown in the throne room. Do you think Yahuwah or Yahusha would be pleased with seeing that? <sighs> Matthew 6, 22-23 The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is your eye, What are your eyes taking in? And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Listen, I don't think he really wants any of us gouging our eyes out, but clearly our Messiah is making a point. Cease from your sinning, especially with what enters your eyes. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, 
but yield yourselves unto Elohim as those are al- as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto Elohim Romans 6:12 through 13 Use your members for righteousness. Don't use them for unrighteousness. If you're struggling with P-O-R-N, lust, or even the addictions mentioned in the idolatry section, this is a time for prayer and fasting, petitioning Yahuwah, that he help you break free of these chains. It works. Myself and many others will tell you, it works. Is this not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Fornication, and especially addiction to fornication and addiction to other things, is a heavy burden, a heavy yoke. It's, it's literally prison. That was Isaiah 58, 6. There is a war out there for your soul. The demonic forces want to keep you locked in a prison cell of sin. Do not let them win. Sometimes the only way these strongholds can be diminished is through prayer and fasting. Break free, brothers and sisters. If you keep slipping up, consider praying and fasting. Fasting can come in many different ways. However, if you can do it, try three days of water only, praying and seeking Yahuwah to deliver you and root out this enemy from your midst that you may walk in truth before him. You can do it. Here's some motivation for the end times. Hear my elect, says Yahuwah. Behold, the days of tribulation are at hand. Tribulation, it's here. And I will deliver you from them. Do not fear or doubt, for Elohim is your guide. You who keep my commandments and precepts, says Yahuwah Elohim. Do not let your sins pull you down, or your iniquities prevail over you. You need to win the battle. Woe to those who are choked by their sins and overwhelmed by their iniquities. As a field is choked with underbrush and its path overwhelmed with thorns, so that no one can pass through, it is shut off and given up to be consumed by fire. 2 Ezra 16, 74-78, part of the 1611 KJV. For additional assistance with breaking free, see this video, Breaking Lusts. All right, things strangled in blood. In those days, it was common practice for Greeks and Romans to eat food with the blood, something strictly forbidden in the Torah. Also, it was common practice that they would just break the neck to kill the animal uh, and then proceed with butchering, which Yahuwah clearly states that uh, you know the blood, the, the throat is to be slit and the, dr- the, the blood is to be drained. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourns among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunts and catches any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eats it shall be cut off. Leviticus seventeen eleven through 14 So while most modern day butchers do drain the blood of animals when slaughtered, it may be a good idea to source your meat. Now I will, uh, actually I will, this is written a couple of years ago. I would like to update it. Um, a lot of major manufacturers like Tyson and other major food processors um, don't actually do that. They like die, they like kill them by electrocution or strangling. Uh, so, uh, it, as I said, it may be a good idea to source your meat and not just pick up a package of meat in Walmart because I got to tell you, I, we have no idea how it's handled. 
And if you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's a burden or uh, this is kind of important. This is part of the, this is part of the very basic first four, not eating things that are strangled or it's blood. So if you live in areas where you can buy directly from butchers or local farmers, I think this is the best idea. Considering how often this precept was given, it is very clear that our father does not want us doing so or transgressing it. I could really improve this article. Eating with the blood is very satanic and ritualistic in witchcraft, something we need to stay far away from. You may not be familiar, but blood is a main ingredient in many dishes around the world. I know this looks disgusting, but this is like, there's like blood worse sausage. There's like these uh, blood cakes. And I mean, there's a lot of cuisines out there that have blood as a main ingredient and people just love it. All right. So now walking, we went from crawling now walking. And I believe the 10 commandments is part of the walking. Pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Ephesians 5.15 We are wise by following the commandments, the Torah of Yahuwah. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as Yahuwah Elohim commanded me, that you should do so in the land where you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6. So wisdom is walking in the commandments. And no wonder Messiah in chapter 5 of Matthew, he's like, I think not that I've come to destroy the, the Torah of the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill, which means to fully preach. For verily, verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Torah. Therefore, uh, and he goes on to say, those who uh, transgress and teach others to transgress the commandments will be least in the kingdom, or my understanding, outside the outside of the gates. And those that do and teach them shall be greatest. And it's interesting that um, later on he talks about how those who are wise, who follow his instructions, and those who don't follow his instructions are foolish. So I find it very interesting that one of the mainstream schools of thought is that in the dispensation of the church age, which is false doctrine, uh, that we listen to Paul and we don't listen to Messiah because Messiah is before the cross in Old Testament and he taught the Jews, but Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles and we listen and follow him. And so therefore, rendering Messiah's words almost as obsolete for the church, which is crazy. Like, we're, the greatest teacher ever came here, ever come, the lawgiver himself, the, the mediator between us and Yah, who's been with Yah since the beginning and was part of creation and everything that was created through him came down and taught us and how on earth do we not follow what he says? It is ridiculous. I'm not getting mad at you. I'm just like, it's like that kind of stuff is just so ridiculous. Anyways, so more for more on being either wise or foolish, see this study here, wise or foolish virgins. So 10 commandments. So all that to get here. So now we're at the, uh, the 10 commandments, what I've been, what I've been talking about. So, Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. We know the greatest commandment, which, you know, Messiah said the greatest is loving Yahweh with all of our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourself. I agree. Those are the two greatest commandments. What's interesting is both those commandments come from the Torah. So to say the Torah is obsolete, but the two greatest commandments come from the Torah is very ironic. So we know our teacher taught us the two greatest commandments, loving Yahuwah and loving your neighbor as yourself. Sorry to be repetitive. The Ten Commandments and the Torah tell us what that actually looks like in practice. The Creator isn't looking for lip service. He's looking for action. So he's not looking for people to say, I love you. And people telling people, I love you. But none of your actions show it. 
This people draws close to me with her mouth and honors me with her lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 8 through 9. So none of us want to worship him in vain. So here's a quick look at what the two greatest commandments look like. Loving Yah and how that kind of spreads out. And loving people and how that spreads out and what that looks like. And the Ten Commandments show us how to do that. So the Torah, the law, simply instructs us further with how to love. None of us want to be guilty of worshiping in vain, so let's learn it his way. So commandment number one, I am Yahuwah, which have brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other Elohim before me. Exodus 20 verse 3. Plain and simple, we serve Yahuwah and no false Elohim. We serve him by keeping his ways. Even if we attempt to serve him, but in a false way, we are not upholding the first commandment. False way, false worship. For they went and served other Elohim and worshipped them, Elohim whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. Deuteronomy 29:26. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Elohim and money. Mammon. Matthew 6:24. Do not covet riches, for though few men possess them, all who do are not free, but are themselves possessed by their wealth. Book of Nazarene 3.18. So though we have jobs, families, and a multitude of responsibilities, we serve Yahuwah first and foremost. He comes before anything. So if something comes in the way uh, at your job of serving Yahuwah, you may be tested whether you serve Yahuwah first and foremost or your job. And you may say to yourself, well, the job is how I am able to pay for rent and food and all these kind of things. So if I want to love my family, I need to make this money. Or... You look and say, I serve Yahuwah first and foremost. Yahuwah sees anything, everything, and nothing gets past him. He will see this trial I'm in, and he will see that I'll make the right decision, and he will help me out. I know he will, and that's faith, that either Yahuwah will, will make this issue at work go away, or he'll find me even a better job. Maybe he'll even find me a job that I can, make, I can provide even more for my family. But that's serving Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone. Commandment number two. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh Elohim, am a jealous Elohim, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So idolatry takes many forms. Good one, um, Lex. We don't serve dumb idols. We serve the living Elohim. Catholicism is still guilty of this very commandment. And most other religions like Buddhism, and they have these statues that they literally go and worship or they put incense before and those kind of things. Perhaps, right, so Catholicism is still guilty of this. So perhaps this is why they took out that took out Mo, took that one out of their version of the Ten Commandments. If you haven't seen it for yourself, look up ten, uh, Catholic Ten Commandments versus the Ten Commandments. They literally took out the Second Commandment. It's not there. And what they did is they took the Tenth Commandment and split it into two commandments, so they still have Ten Commandments. Pretty, pretty sneaky. So has the cross even become an idol? Perhaps. One thing I suggest is not bowing down to any object made with human hands. So I would not recommend this. This should have had like a line through it. Um, you know, that's kind of what they, they, it's modern, it's modern, um, you know, um, it's a commonplace, 
stand for the flag and, and kneel before the cross? Where, where's that in Scripture? Uh, so I would not recommend bowing down to any object made with human hands. Considering we discussed the internal or spiritual idolatry earlier, we'll move forward. But before we do, something that's come up over, over the last uh, year or so, people that are really, uh, really zealous and, and, and really want to follow this commandment to the T. Um, so some people look at this and it says, you shall not make any graven image, a formed image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or the earth beneath. So people have taken this to the extreme as in like, you can't have, you can't have a picture of a lion in your home. Because that's a graven image. That's something that Yah made in nature, and you've made an image of it. I would I would disagree. If you look, and you can do your own research. Um, if you look in, um, oh, if you look in First Kings, the first couple chapters, and in Second Chronicles, the first couple chapters, you've got the building of the temple. Uh, keep in mind, this is a temple that Yahuwah approved of, and blessed, and His presence was in. Inside of the temple are many carved images. You have the, the cherubim. Uh, you've got all kinds of carvings on the wall of pomegranates and um, all, all sorts of, of images. So, and also the altar. The altar had, you know, um, uh, had, had designs on them too. So we'll call it designs. And so I honestly believe the difference here is you're not supposed to make an, uh, an, an image of Yahuwah or Yahusha uh, and bow down to it and serve it, much like this I do believe is a transgression. You're, you're making an image, a carved image of Yahusha and literally what, kissing it and bowing down to it and all that kind of stuff. But like having a picture of a, of a eagle or a bird in your house or a lion or some stuff in nature, or having a picture of mountains in your home, I don't think this is, I don't, I don't believe that's what this is talking about, especially because you look, for, do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Read the first couple chapters of uh, Second Chronicles. That's a little more specific, uh, actually, in Chronicles. Um, of all the different, basically, pictures that were in the temple. And Yah, Yah could have been like, what are you doing? Don't you remember my second commandment of not making anything, like literally, like no pictures, nothing? He didn't say that. He blessed it. And he was in there. And he never said a word about any of those things. Like, take these down. What are you doing? Nothing. So, just something to consider. Uh, so, commandment number three. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your Elohim in vain. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. So, there are various interpretations of this commandment. And I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. One may say that we cannot use Yahweh's name as a curse word. Well, that's certainly a great thing to avoid. Another may say that we don't diminish his name, as in we shouldn't use titles such as Elohim or Lord. And to this, I also agree. That's a great idea. I find a lot of blessing in calling upon his name, singing to his name, praying to him in his name, rather than, oh God, or oh Lord, you know, and singing, oh God, or oh Lord. I like singing, oh Yahuwah, oh Yahuwah. Anyways, some have ventured to say that we shouldn't swear falsely by his name, or example, as Yahuwah lives, I did not do such and such. But it was a lie. That, that's also relevant. This also is relevant. His name can also be a representation of his character, which is revealed through his Torah, prophets, and writings, and gospels. By taking his name in vain, we could be a bad representation of him, which leads into the last type of interpretation of this commandment. But unto the wicked Elohim says, what have you to do to declare my statutes or that you should take my covenant in your mouth? So you wicked man, you don't do any things I say. Why are you putting, why are you talking about my, my law, my covenant? 
Truly, in my opinion, this is the best way of defining this. I'm sorry. Truly, in my opinion, the best way of defining this command is this. Claiming to be his, as in I'm a follower of Yah, and not acting according to his will. Thus putting a stain on his name through your actions. Consider the company UPS. I'm going to tell you a little story. They are clearly noticed and visible with the big brown delivery trucks, right? Now, imagine if you saw one of these trucks swerving in and out of traffic, cutting people off, perhaps even causing an accident, maybe flipping people off and just cursing and all kinds of stuff. Would seeing this help or hurt the name or reputation of UPS? What kind of representation of Yahuwah and his son do we portray? Much like when I was in the USMC, they repeatedly told us, when you're out in public, especially in uniform, you are representing the entire Marine Corps. So don't do anything dumb. They actually used other words, which I'm not going to repeat, of course. But literally, like when we were in town um, and we had uniforms on, there's only the only specific uniforms we could wear. But that's a long story. Anyways. We literally represented the Marine Corps. And if we acted out or did something dumb or like went to a bar and got drunk and you're making the Marine Corps look terrible. So in a much greater sense, how are we making Yahuwah look when we got our seat on, of course, and, you know, and, and we're just being like bad examples. We're taking his name in vain. Messiah kind of repeats this in a different way. And why do you call me master, master? And do not the things which I say. Luke 6.46. So maybe that helps you a little bit with the uh, taking his name in vain. Uh, number four. This is the big one. Because this is the one that most of Christianity, I, can't, I couldn't even put a number on it, 95%, 97%, 98%, disregard completely. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yahweh your Elohim. In it, you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, which, I, again, I call employees for modern-day terminology, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gate. So not even your animals do you put to work. For in six days Yahuwah made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, Yahuwah blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the Sabbath is the big one, in my opinion. Modern-day Christianity typically follows many of the precepts from the Ten Commandments. However, the Sabbath is a huge stumbling block. The Sabbath itself is one of the signs or marks that Yahweh puts on his people. He, there's about five or six different mentions of Yah putting a sign or a mark on his people, and the Sabbath happens to be one of them. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat and observe the Shabbat throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Exodus 31, 16 through 17. The Hebrew word for sign is ot. It can mean sign, mark, or proof. The Roman Catholic Church changed the day of rest and worship from the last day of the week, uh, what we call Saturday or whatever, to the first day of the week, commonly called Sunday. For more information on the Sabbath and how to keep it holy or set apart, please see this study. So if you're new and you're like, I need to know everything about keeping the Sabbath. Well, this may not have everything, but it may have most of the frequently asked questions like, well, what, can I do this on the Sabbath? Or can, can I do that on the Sabbath? Or uh, what, do, what do I do here or there? This would be a good reference for you about the Sabbath. How, when, where, and why. 
So in short, on the seventh day of the week, we rest from our labors. It is a day for putting down our employment, gathering with other like-minded believers, and praising and worshiping our Creator. It is a day to shut off the world and draw closer to Him than any other day. There remains, therefore, a Shabbat for the people of Elohim. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has seized from his own works, as Elohim did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. Hebrews 4, 9-11 As many are finding out, the Shabbat is the best day of the week, hello, and is an amazing gift to us from the Father. And he said unto them, The Shabbat was made for man, and not man for the Shabbat. Mark two twenty seven. Commandment number 5 Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh your Elohim gives you. So we live in a day and age where some of us may not have had the best parents on earth. Doesn't matter. Find a way to reconcile and honor them. Here's some wisdom concerning this amazing commandment. What we're about to read is from the book of Sirach. In case, in case you're new, Sirach is known as Ecclesiasticus. It was included in the 1611 KJV and other, other canon, canons, excuse me, of the Septuagint and others uh, under like the Apocrypha section. Well, Septuagint, Septuagint, it's just part of the, the book. But anyways, <clears throat> this for me, this was life-changing. This, this, what we're about to read, changed my life with my father, who kind of estranged from, uh, long story, but it. Uh, I'll give you a testimony. This is true. My father was, uh, he, he was born in Israel, raised Jewish, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as soon as he was 18 and left for and, and, not, and went to the Israeli army and whatnot, he completely left. He's like, this is like a bunch of garbage. Judaism is a bunch of man-made garbage. And much like a lot of people leave the Catholicism, they're like, this is just, there's nothing here. It's a dead faith. So my father became an atheist for like 50 years, even to the point of being upset. Yeah, it's like, how can you be an atheist and still hate him? You know, it reminds me of if you haven't seen the, the if you haven't seen the movie, uh, God's Not Dead. Um, the final moment where he wins the, over the teacher, he's like, you hate him. He's like, I hate him. Well, how can you hate someone that doesn't exist? And it was like, boom. Anyways, point is, my dad was an atheist for 50 years and we were kind of estranged. It's a long story. Um, but this passage we're about to read changed my life. And it, and it, and it, it spurred me to reach out to him. Um, we reconciled, which is amazing. Um, got my dad back. And not only that, oh, I, 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 he lives in California. And I, I was taking semi-annual trips. I was taking a trip in the winter and taking a trip in the, in the summer. And I was able to spend time with him. During this time, he was literally on his deathbed. The first time I went up to visit him, he was probably about 80 pounds. Looked like the pictures you see of like, you know, Holocaust survivors. Um, but he was dying. <laughs> and I know some of you know this, but I don't know a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people leave. A lot of people are new, come in, so they haven't heard this. But over over some time, I was able to uh, share my testimony because uh, obviously I, I grew up in Judaism too. He put me through, through uh, even though he was atheist, he's like, I still want you to grow up a Jew. I'm like, okay. Um, but my, my grandfather was, was big into Judaism, my grandmother and all that kind of stuff. And my dad kind of went through the motions because he wanted me to grow up in the traditions. Traditions. Anyways, um, so he's like, you know, I'm telling him the, the walk and the faith. He's like, uh, he's like, Adam, uh, you're not the, this, what you're talking about. Is you're not a Jew and you're not a Christian. What, what are you? You know, it's like, a, it's like neither, but a little bit of both. And um, anyways, I'm like, well, yeah. 
it is a little bit of both and it's neither and he's like what about this this jesus you know no law and all that kind of stuff i'm like no 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 no. that's not true you know yahusha or he he likes to say yahushua um i actually read i actually read some of the passages of what he actually taught he's like oh i did not know these how come nobody told me this i'm like well because because the jews hate him anyways um long story short he's come i would he's still got a ways to go i'm sure like like a lot of us but he repented of his sins he called upon yahushua for salvation he prays every day this is what he tells me he reads um he reads the word um that's a miracle i saw my father go from one of the rudest and meanest people i've ever met in my life to one of the most humble and meek and loving people. I've never, I've, I've never met this part of my father. Well, maybe when I was young, young, um, and then, uh, then life just derailed and he became very sour and bitter. Anyways, I'm sorry. That's just a little testimony of mine. But all that I said, all that to say this, this passage we're about to read, it like gut punched me, and it was like an arrow right in the heart. I was like, oh. I need to reconcile with my father. I need to honor him. I need to find a way to honor him. So I was able to do so. And uh, he's still alive today. This is, uh, gosh, this is about three years now. And he's out of his deathbed and he's back to working. He, well, he, not his original job, but he's like a full-time Uber driver and he loves it. And anyways, whatever. So here's Sirach. I'll have to say this. Here's Sirach chapter three, verses one through 16. It's kind of a longer passage, but really important. Please listen in especially if you have some issues with your parents. Listen to me, your father, O children, and act accordingly, that you may be kept in safety. For Yahweh honored the father above the children, and he confirmed the right of the mother over her sons. Whoever honors his father atones for sins, and whoever glorifies his mother is like one who lays up treasure. Whoever honors his father will be gladdened by his own children. I have lived this. And when he prays, he will be heard. Whoever glorifies his father will have long life. And whoever obeys Yahuwah will refresh his mother. He will serve his parents as his masters. Honor your father by word and deed, that a blessing from him may come upon you. For a father's blessing strengthens the houses of the children, but a mother's curse uproots their foundations. Do not glorify yourself by dishonoring your father, for your father's dishonor is no glory to you. For a man's glory comes from honoring his father, and it is a disgrace for children not to respect their mother. O son, O son, help your father in his old age. And do not grieve him as long as he lives. Even if he is lacking in understanding, show forbearance. In all your strength, do not despise him. For kindness to a father, oh, sorry. for kindness to a father will not be forgotten. And against your sins, it will be credited to you. In the day of your affliction, it will be remembered in your favor. As frost in a fair weather, your sins will melt away. Whoever forsakes his father is like a blasphemer, and whoever angers his mother is cursed by Yahuwah. And that's, again, Sirach 3, 1 through 16. Uh, and I kind of just quickly mentioned here that whoever honors his father will have joy of his own children. And I can tell you, after after I reconciled and, and started on, really honoring my father, I really I saw that I had more joy of my own children. 
and so I, I gotta tell you, brothers and sisters, this is this is ruach inspired, and I've I, I've seen this with my own eyes. So long story short, find a way to honor your parents today, even if they were not the best parents, and if you had a huge falling out, be the one, be the one to make that initial step. Be if you have to be the better person. Make that first step towards reconciliation and finding a way to honor them. Now, does that mean that uh, that you have to do everything they say and if they want you to do something against the Torah? Of course not. But you can still find a way to honor them. All right, the number six, thou shalt not murder. This is a basic principle of life. We do not take the life of others in cold blood. Our Messiah even went a step further, letting us know that hatred for a brother in our heart is also breaking this commandment. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, you shall not murder, and whoever shall murder shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say to you, you fool, shall be in danger of a hell fire. Matthew five twenty one through 22. Be careful out there, brothers and sisters. We are called to love one another, even our enemies. For more on love, see 1 Corinthians 13 and this in-depth study on scriptural love for one another. It should be known that murder is not the same word or meaning as kill. And so some people will be like, you know, I don't understand. He said, don't kill. But then, of course, he commanded them to kill all these, you know, these other people. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Exodus twenty fourteen. Pretty simple. We are not to sleep with each other's spouses. Sounds like this would be a law common to all people. However, this is not the case. And all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah went there three, went there <clears throat> four times in the year with their wives and children and all belonging to them. And they rejoiced there with timbrels and dances. And in the time of rejoicing, they would all rise and lay hold of their neighbors' wives and some their virgin daughters of their neighbors, and they enjoyed them. And each man saw his wife and his daughter in the hands of his neighbor and did not say a word. And they did so from morning to night, and they afterward returned home, each man to his house and each woman to her tent. So they always did four times in the year. Sick, right? For it was a law of the Amorites that she who was about to marry should sit in fornication seven days by the gate. Testament of Judah 2.23. Oh, and what we read earlier was Joshua 18.13-15. So just a couple examples of how that's not really common teaching. Our wonderful teacher expands on this basic precept. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. We discussed lust and fornication at length in the idolatry section earlier, so we will continue forward. Number eight, you shall not steal. What are you still doing stealing other people's belongings? No, I'm just kidding. But really, would you want someone to steal your stuff? Seriously, though, we cannot be thieves, brethren, which this has come up recently, um, uh, hearing about people coming out of Egypt, coming out of Babylon and living a life of thievery. And they, and they justify it by saying they're just plundering Mitzrayim, which we saw as they were leaving Egypt. They, of course, got garments and, and, and jewels and all these kind of things. But. It's too, that's not apple, that's not, that's apples and oranges. That's not, uh, that's not um, comparing, you know, everyday life with, you know, an exit out of, out of Egypt when they were promised these things. But the point is, is there are people in Torah 
who are doing and teaching others to not work, not have normal jobs because money is evil, which that's not true. Money itself is not evil, but the but the 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 love of money and what money does to people is evil. But if someone treats it correctly and does what's right with it, hence example Abraham who was very rich and did the right things, he clothed the naked, he he fed the poor, he you know, did all these things. But anyway, seriously though, brethren, we cannot be thieves. Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Do you want your stuff stolen? Then why are you stealing from others? How chaotic would life be with perpetual theft if everybody was just stealing stuff from each other? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. Ephesians 4.28, great words, Paul. Hallelujah. Stealing can come in many forms in this current age. Consider it at every corner. Just like uh, you know, plagiarizing. Like when you have a paper um, and you just literally copy someone's, that's theft, right? It's a different type of theft. But if we're going to be good and upright and honest people, we need to think about are we stealing someone else's things? Just something to think about. You shall not bear false, number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This command at its core is about giving witness to an action or crime that could potentially incarcerate, punish, or lead to the execution of someone. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Deuteronomy 19, 18-19. And we see that actually walked out, even though they were in Babylon. You remember when... Um, when I can't remember the, the the other guys' names, but they were jealous of Daniel and they and they didn't you know of Daniel's success and wanted Daniel out of the picture and and so they falsely accused Daniel and so you know of course you know Daniel went to the lions then he was saved and so <laughs> Darius Darius whoever uh, however you pronounce that um, was like he took he took the false witnesses and threw them in the lions den so anyways. Uh, so the the core of commandment number nine is is bearing witness, bearing false witness. That is that you don't bear false witness. Um, and so some people, and actually even in, um, I'm I'm gonna play the Ten Commandments song for you here shortly when we're done. Uh, and and you know I, I did that, I did that song mostly for the kids. Um, and so when I sang the song, I sang it with lying, uh, don't lie. But really, because um, bearing false witness is lying. Um, but specifically the commandment is about bearing false witness. But lying in general is not good either. It says here, do not devise a lie against your brother, nor do the like to a friend. Refuse to utter any lie, for the habit of lying serves no good. And you can see here that he had not did not associate it with the commandment of bearing false witness, but that it in and of itself is a bad habit and it serves no good. And that was Sirach again, chapter 7, 12 through 13. Here's from Paul. Do not lie to another. I'm sorry, do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3, 9 through 10. So in my opinion, um, don't bear false witness, don't lie. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant or his maidservant, employees, nor his, uh, his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. And so... I think this is a good representation here. Work, buy, consume, die. Coveting has a new facelift. This is called consumerism. 
keeping up with the Joneses if you're still in the I'm sorry if you're still in the rat race of having to always buy the latest thing be it cars or clothing or shoes you may have an issue with coveting now are cars clothing shoes in and of themselves a bad thing no but there's a difference between buying stuff when you need it and just you know fulfilling desires and lusts you may have an issue with coveting desiring what others have so when you see someone else have something you're like I gotta have it or I want that, right? Not only does coveting lead to irrational spending, debt, and waste, but other sins. Coveting can, le uh, can lead to murder. So if you're coveting someone's wife, um, um, I'm sorry, it could lead to adultery. If you're coveting someone's life, it could lead to, lead to jealousy, envy, and murder. Theft, and these typically stem from coveting. Guard your heart and your souls, brothers and sisters. Also, keep watch on your eyes and ears. Commercials are created with craftiness to pierce your subconscious. Be satisfied with what you have at all times, and you won't have to worry about coveting anything. Remember Psalm 23? Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. But seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So that the context of that, they were talking about, what shall we eat, or what shall we clothe with? And he's like, seek first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and you'll have all these things anyways. But if your heart seeks after the clothing and the food, and that's what your heart's after, it's going to stunt your growth. You're not going to grow in, in, in the Elohim and the knowledge. Seek him first and his righteousness, and you'll get these things anyways. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering and need. This is the kind of attitude we can have to be content and to not covet. That was Philippians 4, 11 through 12. At the end of the day, we should be able to reflect back on, the, on his commandments and realize this. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as Yahuwah my Elohim commanded me, that you should do so in the land where you go to possess it. Now that we're not in the land where dispersion, we can still do it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what nation is there so great who has elohim so close unto them as yahuwah elohim is in all things that we call upon him for and what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this torah which i set before you this day deuteronomy 4 5 through 8 so uh with that we'll stop there and um we are finished with our Torah portion today. So with that, brothers and sisters, hey, I pray that something in here was a blessing to you. Uh, and again, if you want to learn more about that, that was the How to Walk in Torah. It's part of our basics playlist. Um, there will be a link for that uh, article there if you want to go through it in article form as well. So with that, brothers and sisters, uh, blessings to you. Shalom. Um, announcements. Um, Pesach, still it's getting closer. If you want to come and do uh, Passover with us, we camp out for like eight days and do Pesach uh, out in the wilderness. Uh, there are some comforts there. You know, there's there's uh, bathrooms and showers and uh, there's like there's some electricity and there's, you know, whatever. We'll have a bit. We have our big, um, big, big tent up there. Our big old revival tent's going to be up there. And that's where it's like our tent of meeting. Um, anyways, we have a great time. Um would love to uh, love to Pesach with you. Love to do Passover with you. So if you're interested uh, in joining us, there's a link in the description box uh, that you can uh, sign up if you'd like. Um, what else? What other uh, what other announcements do I have? Um, 
Uh, I hate to ask again, but I'm going to ask. You know, uh, there's, there's one thing that the book of Natsurim has really changed my mind on is asking for help. Um, so over a month ago now, maybe a month and a half ago, I, I let you guys know that there was a family in need of, of a camper. And that need was fulfilled by someone listening to the Torah portion. Um, there was a very unfortunate um, event that has happened. Um, and I can't talk about it right now because I'm going to have to talk about it in a separate video. Uh, it does involve... Um, involves something I just can't talk about. But they have been made homeless. Um, thankfully, um, they've been uh, they've been here back in our, our community for the last couple of weeks. And a family has let them borrow a camper for about two or three weeks now. But that's coming to a close on the 27th of this um, Gregorian month. They're going to have to leave that camper. And uh, the only other option I have for them is a uh, is a, uh, a canvas tent, a yurt, which is not terrible. But uh, in the winter, it's still it's still kind of tough. So I hate to ask, but I've got another family um, looking for a camper. Doesn't need to be anything fancy, um, but you know, in in some decent working condition. Um, not obviously floorboards, not rotting out, and, and things like that. This is a family with a small baby. It's a husband and a wife and a baby. She's, gosh, right under a year, right at a year, a year. I don't know exactly how. Old. She's right at a year old. Um, anyways, I'm reaching out. Um, this is not for me, but it's for someone in the community. Um, they are uh, they are um, local attendees of our uh, Parable of Vineyard Fellowship and part of our community. And so I'm reaching out for help. And um, if you can help, great. If not, just pray for them that um, that something will something will uh, manifest uh, for them. So uh, with that being said, um, blessings to you. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. We're going to play the Ten Commandments and maybe one other song. Uh, maybe we might play Psalm 3 from left to right. So I'm going to play uh, my, ten, uh, the, not mine, the Ten Commandments song that I was led to play, to, led to write and, and, and create. And then uh, maybe we'll play Psalm 3 at the end, which is literally my favorite song from Left and Right Ministries. If you have not subscribed to them, they're good friends of mine. Um, I love Lynn and Ruth. They are just amazing, genuine, humble, meek followers of Yahuwah. Um, I, uh, I, we were talking about it last night. I, I think I might do like an interview so I can really sh uh, introduce you to them. But they are the worship leaders at our local congregation and their music is so, probably some of the best music I've ever heard. And, and I, I believe it's because the Spirit of the Most High is really guiding them to do this music. And um, and they're good. So there's that. So we'll play, we'll play my music, uh, Ten Commandments and probably Psalm 3. And we'll see you all next week. Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Um, I love you guys. I really do. And uh, I love studying together with you. And um, um, pray this was a blessing for you in some way. So let's pray. Father Yahuwah, we just come before you again. And we thank you for allowing us to study together. And Father, we just uh, we just ask that you help us to be good examples to the nations, that they would really see your commandments and be like, wow, what a great nation and how wise they are with these commandments and how close their Yah is to them and all these things, Father, that we can just be a good example. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of people in this movement being a bad example for you, Father. And for your ways, and and if, and if that's been me or others, please uh, forgive us and help us to be better examples moving forward, Father. To be that, to really be that light. And we just thank you in Yahushua's mighty name. Hallelujah, Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Ten Commandments. This is for the kids, so they can memorize it. Let's sing a little song about the two greatest commandments: loving Yahuwah and loving people. 
Let's start with how we love him. You shall not have any other
my head up and I cried with my voice oh yeah and he answered me from his cold ash mountain Answered me from his cold ash mountain. 